This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Change, Redefining Success, the podcast designed to inspire you and give you actionable information to enhance, up-level, reimagine, and reinvent your life and your livelihood. No matter where you started, where you are now, or where you've been, you too can lead an authentic, first-class life. Each week, new stories of turning points and transformation will help you define what success means to you so you can live your best life on your terms. Now here's your host, first-class life mentor and certified Profiting From Your Passions coach, Kate Fessler. Welcome to Change, Redefining Success. I'm your host, Kate Fessler, and today my guest is Ron L. Coburn. Do you yearn to live a life of purpose and passion if you could only know what that means specifically for you? Did you know that your fingerprints were formed five months before you were born and hold the key to your most meaningful life? Using the tool of life prints, hand, and fingerprint analysis full-time for the past 19 years, Ron L. Coburn has helped over 13,000 healers, cultural creatives, artists, leaders, entrepreneurs, and entrepreneurs discover their real-life purpose by decoding their unique fingerprints so they can live lives of exceptional personal and professional fulfillment and extraordinary passion. Ronell has been featured on Woman's World, OneSpirit.com, OfSpirit.com, Library Journal, and countless podcasts. After publishing her best-selling book, Life Purpose Now, It's In Your Fingerprints, she was featured on NBC's Today Show. If you want to stop guessing and start living, you can know exactly what your life purpose is from your own personal instruction manual for life found in the form of your unique fingerprints. Ronell offers private consultations as well as professional training and certification in life friends hand analysis. She's also spent the past couple of years on a major home renovation, so we'll talk about that as well. Welcome, Ronell. Hi, thanks for having me. I want to start with the remodel. You bought a house, new to you, but obviously in need of some work. What was it about the house that spoke to you, even knowing that there was so much to be done to make it shine? Ah. Well, I was wanting to make a change in my life. I've been single for some years now after being married, and I got tired of living alone. I had a beautiful rental house here in Portland, Oregon, a very actually special house. But uh, one day I thought it's time for me to go ahead and see if I can buy some property because Portland, like other places, is sort of going crazy in terms of lots of people are coming here and moving in, rents are going up, housing costs are going up. And I thought, it's time. It's time. I never thought Mm -hmm. I'd buy property. And uh, sort of combined with that, like I said, I was tired of living uh, by myself, especially because I work from the home office. Um, I can go days. If I don't have girlfriend time or uh, dancing time, because I do tango dancing going on, I could just go days without seeing anybody except the, you know, the clerk at the post office and the clerk at the bank and the clerk at the grocery store and such. So um, I decided to look for a house where I could rent rooms and have other people and create a community, basically of uh, wonderful like-minded people who also wanted to live with other people. So I guess the timing was right because I started 
just looking by myself, um, a former assistant of mine had become a real estate agent, so I knew I would use her, but I went out on my own because I already had a vision of what I was looking for, uh, for group living. And day five, uh, I found the house I got, and it is a very unusual house. We call it the palace. Oh. It's, two, it's two houses that were joined in the middle back in 1979. So it's basically two houses that were next door to each other that have been bridged in the middle with uh, two beautiful, um, beautiful rooms with floor to ceiling rock walls with fireplaces. Um, and then an extension was put on one of the houses to also fill in an extra 10 feet. Um, so it's a really big house. There's nothing else like it. People drive by or walk by with their dogs. And it's a very long house and people are like, wow, what's with that house? Um, and it was actually in very, very good condition. It could have been lived in as is, but it needed things, uh, you know, it needed new windows, it needed a new roof. It basically needed updating because it had been 38 years since the houses had been put together and it had been carpeted and floored and painted and such. So it was in remarkable shape and I got a deal because nobody else looking at this house knew, you know, what they would do with it. It's way too big for uh, like a family, just a single family or something. Um, hmm. So day five, I walked in here and I went, oh my gosh, it's basically the house said, I want you because you could do me proud. Um, mm -hmm. And so I had my uh, former assistant turned real estate agent. So we looked at it, we made an offer. Um, we made an offer that was substantially lower than what was being asked and they didn't want to sell the land to developers um, and were excited about me. So they, um, they took my offer and I went from there and it's been a two and a half year renovation uh, the first four months was almost the entire interior, and I was on that full time. I basically acted as the general contractor on it so that my general contractor would be free to do things that I couldn't do. So I sourced all the materials. Uh, I helped different contractors do different pieces of the house, like install the flooring. I did all the interior painting. I ran the whole project. I had whole 12-hour days where I was just tracking down and ordering materials. So. I decided what I wanted. I was very clear about it. I looked at what it was going to take to do it. Houses, uh, as a lot of people know, have a way of taking your money, all of the money you've got available, and then want more. <laughs> <laughs> and then your time, too. So I have a lot of sweat equity in it. Um, last summer, I myself refinished all the lap cedar siding. It's like the equivalent of three houses worth and built 11 decks because I put sliding doors on all the bedrooms with the intention of building decks so everybody could have indoor and outdoor space. So it's been a really big project. I felt really good about it. Um, sometimes these things are really stressful, but I generally find that anything you want that's worth having, there's some effort involved mm -hmm. and uh, some risk involved and some keeping the faith involved and some asking others for help when you need it involved. But basically I'm sitting here in this amazing place we call the palace and I get to live here and I've got amazing housemates who are all, I call us cultural, creative, well-adjusted bohemian, uh, all of us are entrepreneurial types, uh, varying ages. Um, and it's just going beautifully, I'm much happier living in a bit of a community context where we can be together when we want to be and we can 
retreat to our own space when we want to just be on our own too. So mm-hmm. it's it's been fun and just I'm a very hands-on person. I like having my hands on things. So I love I've got a garage full of power tools now. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I'm very DIY. People who know me already know I'm very DIY on every level. I build my own website. I've put together all my training systems myself from multiple systems because I started doing online training a long time before most people did so services weren't available but then I'm I've got control of them I save a lot of money which means my bottom line goes up um, business wise and yeah I love it I'm really happy happy with my life here uh, 19 years into having my own business and I also call this the house that hands bought because yeah. I've been a full-time full-time at what I do for a long time now and I got to a point where I got out of student loan debt and other debt that I had and then I started to put money in the bank and that enabled me to then parlay uh, parlay myself into this house which will also be my retirement because I used my retirement money all those years ago to seed my business um, and my return on investment has been phenomenal. Um, but then talking about having enough for uh, retirement someday, not that I think I'll ever put my feet up and sit around, but uh, it's nice to now have parlayed uh, what, I've done, what I did with my retirement originally into my business and then into you know, what ultimately would be a better retirement than I would have ended up with had I been an employee for all these years. So. I'm not kind of so, somebody said to me recently, you're a maverick. And I said, yeah, I guess I am. I don't do things the way most people do them. Mm, yeah, well, we'll talk about that in a, in a minute. Um, it's interesting <laughs> that you mentioned the community and that you built this house to build a community. My last guest yeah. in my last podcast just um, opened a uh, co-working space for exactly the same reason. So wow. it's an interesting theme that there's community building going on in a lot of different ways than what we've been used Mm -hmm. to, Um, not only in the co-working space, but now, of course, in the, I guess you'd call it a co-living space. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of that stems from, you know, our society tends to be very isolating in various ways. And I think people are tired of it. Well, and especially for people who own their own businesses and that, you know, that was, that's the theme of the co-working is that you like to be around other like-minded people. And so um, it sounds like you intentionally put together your group of renters um, to have that same type of a like-minded community. Yeah, it is interesting. I didn't, uh, I didn't think about so much. Uh, that we might all be doing uh, solopreneur type of work, but it's ended up that we end up having sort of uh, impromptu sessions in one of our three living rooms with everybody on their laptop uh, working on digital marketing things. And what do you know about that? And, oh, I just learned this about this. And how do you do that? So I've ended up with a sort of co-living and a bit of a co-working space, interestingly. Hmm. as well, which I hadn't even really thought about that aspect of it, that we'd all be working on our individual businesses in terms of who's living in the house. But I guess, you know, you attract people who are like you. 
Right. So, it, right. you know, the birds of a feather flock together thing. So in retrospect, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and I've got Absolutely. young people just starting their businesses too, which is really great, like 30-somethings that are just starting out. Um, so that's really fun because the energy, their energy is really great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So speaking of your business, uh, your business is Hand and Fingerprint Analysis. Let's mm-hmm. start by defining what that means. What is it? And just as importantly, what is it not? Yeah, so much of defining what it is is about uh, defining what it's not because most people's first idea about hand reading is traditional palmistry and predictions and gypsies and such. But, but what we do as uh, life purpose hand analysts, I keep trying to find you know, language to differentiate us um, from traditional palmistry. What's different is that everything's been updated. Um, the kind of predictions about who you're going to marry, uh, what, winning, you know, what are the lucky lottery numbers and such, that's all gone. How many children are you going to have? You can't actually tell those sorts of things from your hands. Um, but what the hands are, I would say, not only good for, but what's even better about what you actually get from your own hands, the shape, the lines, and the fingerprints, is that your hands are a full mapping of your psychology. And there's sort of two systems in there. One is something we call your transpersonal psychology or your soul psychology, and that's in your fingerprints, which are formed five months before you're born, and they never change. And they have in them what we call your life purpose. And your life purpose is about who you want to be and what you need to be doing to be that person, as well as your life lesson, that thing that we all have that keeps tripping us up in life. And, you know, what is that thing that won't go away? It keeps coming back. And the life lesson is something we really need to get aware of and work in a very focused way with because it's an area of ourselves we need to develop so that it can support our life purpose. So they are completely intertwined. You've got to be with and do and get aware of and work on your life lesson in order to do your life purpose, just sort of like a car needs gas to go. So Mm -hmm. that's in the fingerprint, the fingerprints, the soul psychology, transpersonal psychology, whatever language, you know, fits for you. The rest of the hands are what people think of as, you know, a source for traditional palmistry. And what we do is rooted in traditional palmistry. But again, everything's been updated. The stuff that doesn't work uh, has been thrown out. Um, The rest of your hands are more about your emotional style and your communication preferences because of that, how your brain works, what kind of a thinker are you? Um, you know, the rest of your hands show you things about your orientation to family group society versus being more uh, autonomous, independent, uh, separated in terms of how you interact with people and how big a picture you see. Uh, your thumb specifically is about your entire willpower and decision-making systems. So we're able to look, and there's a whole lot more, um, we're able to look at your hands and your fingerprints in those two systems and see how they work together, given the kind of personality you've got, what's the best way for you to do your life purpose and pay attention to your life lesson. 
Um, and there tend to be delicious dilemmas there. Uh, if you, in case you haven't noticed, humans tend to be a bit of a bundle of contradictions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh huh. Um, so we have to figure out how to harmonize different things within our systems and amongst our systems. So the hands are really, I like to just say, they're an instruction manual for your life and your highest potentials, your skills, abilities, your aptitudes, as well as your glitches and your tripping places within your personality and within your life. And by looking at your hands and basically interpreting them, it's like I learned to read Greek and you could too, uh, you can find out so much about yourself so quickly and start working consciously with it just immediately rather than there's a long process just to find out what it is, who you are. You can know that immediately and then really engage fully in the processes of who you are and stepping up and moving yourself where you really want to go, where life feels really meaningful and satisfying to you. Mm -hmm. You've been doing this full time for the past 19 years. What did yep. you do before that? And how did you discover this methodology? Oh, to try to keep the story short. Um, I have uh, degrees in uh, literary studies, creative writing, and psychology at the bachelor's level. And then I went on and got creative writing master's degrees. And it's so funny, a lot of people I know who are involved in uh, psychology and the counseling field have literature degrees originally. And it's like, oh, wait, literature is the earliest form of psychology when you think about it, right? You're mm. reading something and what's motivating them and why are they doing that and what's happening, right? when you read fiction and you get into the, the characters in fiction. Um, so I finally figured out that's the connection there. Um, and then like a lot of people, um, I came out of school with student loans. It's much better than what it is now, but uh, I put myself through college entirely myself. And so I came out with student loan debt and you've got, back then you had six months to start paying back. So I had to, you know, just get work really quickly. And I ended up working for a nonprofit that does, um, still does work on energy and environmental issues. And that was something that uh, was very much in alignment with my sense of, you know, trying to help the world and do something good in the world and be involved in something that's, that's helping the world and the environment's always been very important to me. So that was a wonderful job for the number of years that I did it. Um, I was sitting in the catbird seat, so to speak. Uh, a lot of people would have killed for my job because if I wanted, even though I was in an administrative organizational position, had I wanted to go into the subject matter, um, I could have, and they would have even paid for, you know, part of my education, like at UC Berkeley, to do that. Some uh, another person there did that at some point, um, and moved more deeper into the subject matter. But I knew that that wasn't where I was supposed to be. I was always studying people and systems. That's what I was particularly good at. There is the people, the paper, the computers. What do they want? How do they all work together? Um, also, the, you know. Uh, interactions between and amongst the people in our little organization and seeing uh, what was going on there, where things were good, where things were bad, <laughs> where things were indifferent. So I was always studying people, reading books on psychology, uh, you know, learning about the Myers-Briggs on my own time and the Enneagram 
and uh, other types of uh, psychology and personality psychology systems. I look back and it's kind of like a Homer Simpson, duh. You know, <laughs> it goes, duh, do or do. Um, you know, I look back and go, oh, of course. Of course I was supposed to be working with people in some way that's that's about you know who they are and who they want to be and what makes their lives meaningful i was engaged in all of that and searching for that for myself um, earlier in my life and i was a meditator still am um, which is about self-discovery and understanding your inner working so so I did that job, then I left it, and the next job I took was, uh, or almost took, was for a career counseling center, which is kind of more aligned with that, but I didn't end up taking that job. I took a job with a literacy nonprofit, um, which turned out to be a disaster, and after six months of that, I just sort of fell apart because the place was so dysfunctional. Ended up quitting with, you know, student loan debt and bills to be paid and, uh uh, and, you know, no backup, and but I just couldn't stay there anymore. I went into sort of full-blown dark night of the soul crisis, and I just had to get out of there. So I did, and then went through a period of temp work and kind of muddling about while I was in this crisis of meaning. Um, and during that time, I went to sell a lot of my books as a lit major. You can imagine how many books I had. And I got a credit slip to the store because the cash wasn't even worth it, right? I brought the books in to raise cash to pay the rent, and then it's like, what? $150 for my whole library if I take cash? Right. $300 in credit? Guess mm. what I did? I did the credit slip, and I was back in the store. At that time, I then was at least getting in, on the right track. I was considering going to therapy school, and I was in the San Francisco Bay Area where a lot of really great transpersonal therapy schools are. Um, but something about that, my system said no, and I was at a time when I could only do what my insights wanted me to do, or things went <laughs> very wrong very quickly for me. So um, I ended up back at the bookstore poking in the psychology section, of course, with my big fat kid in the candy store credit slip. And um, I went to take, I still, I, it's all these years of telling this story, and I still, ugh, I can't believe this happened in my life. I went to take a book down off the shelf and a big fat book about palmistry from a little over 100 years ago that was not about predictions came down with it and fell on the floor. You know, might as well have hit me on the head. And it's probably the only book that could have caught my eye. Um, it's like the book persuaded me to buy it with my credit slip and take it home because uh, the man who'd written it uh, 100 years ago was also a skeptic and didn't believe in palmistry or whatever and ended up uh, basically being a, a hand analyst for 50 years of his life, hmm. um, a non-predictive one back in the 1800s. Um, and this was his, you know, seven, eight hundred page book of his findings. So the story of the skeptic uh, comes across palmistry and sees that there's something in it uh, and then decides to check it out for himself, not just dismiss it out of hand and then ends up converted and making it his profession. That story 
appealed to me basically because I was like, hands, what a bunch of crap. But wait, this guy was also skeptic and devoted the rest of his life full time to working with hands and learning about them and learning from them and, and getting rid of the things that don't work and distilling it down. So I took that book home, started reading it, um, and started looking at people's hands just for the heck of it and had amazing conversations with people. And then within the space of about six months, two different people said, have you heard of Richard Unger? Because he was in the Bay Area and it's his system that I use. His book's called Life Print, so I tend to call it Life Print's Hand Analysis to distinguish it. And after the second person, you know, asked me that same question, uh, I realized I guess I need to, you know, look this person up and make a phone call. Mm-hmm. So I did, and I was broke, but I managed to figure it out and took the first training and went, oh, my God, this is it. And scratch, chicken scratched, however, I had to to come up with enough money uh, to do the certification training, uh, the 10-month certification training, and the rest is sort of history. I had found a job that I was working that didn't pay much, but it was a very entrepreneurial place, Scharfenberger Chocolate. They were just starting up, so I worked with them um, and for them in my very early and their early years. I worked for them for two years because I wanted to see what do entrepreneurs do when they can't make payroll tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, how, what do they do? They've got a million dollars of old, used, cranky machinery that breaks down. You know, like when you're starting up and you're having to bootstrap it, basically, how do you handle that? So it was a good place for me for just a couple years. Um, and then when I was near the end of my training, I was laid off. They brought in a venture capitalist. They were going to expand. They kind of reorganized. They weren't unhappy with me. Uh, John Scharfenberger took me to lunch about a week afterwards. He let me calm down from being upset and feeling rejected. And he took me to lunch and he said, well, no, we can't even really utilize you. You are so smart. You've got things to do. You clearly have, have you know, something you're meant to be doing. You need to just figure it out and go do it. Well, I was already on hands by then. So I was like, mm. okay, <laughs> I guess I've got to finish my training here. He said, take unemployment. It's not like... We're upset with you. Uh, apply for unemployment, absolutely. And, you know, go do what you're made to do. And so I took unemployment. I was about to get married. I got married. And uh, a few months later, my unemployment ran out. And the next day, I was doing my first event, uh, official event in business. I was already getting paid, but I did my first event, first event where I was speaking at a conference and uh, reading hands at the conference and, and then, you know, five hours away in another city and boom, I just, I just started up and I didn't have any cash, real cash under me, no money. So I had to do it. It's like, do it or get a job. Mm-hmm. There, was, there was no in between. And at a certain point I needed some of my retirement money to help, uh, seed things because of my life lesson i started to make my living and then i kind of froze up in fear like oh my gosh this is for real this is possible my life has changed and my system sort of freaked out so i used my retirement money to help bridge me over at that point and get through that difficult period that was me wrestling with me and i hung in there i was like i'm not going back to getting a job that i burned that bridge not an option Mm-hmm. So 
I just did whatever I had to do. I started out doing psychic fairs, and I'm not a psychic. I don't know about psychics and psychic stuff. I'm very skeptical about all of it. I've had to redefine what intuition means uh, when people say I'm psychic and not be offended by it. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy. Uh, so I did whatever I had to do to make money, gain experience, gain business experience, marketing experience, sales experience, in front of people, speaking experience. I just found any and every opportunity I could, and I just did it. Just awesome. Did it. We've got to yeah. take a short break. When we come back, Woo! your instruction manual for life. Do you feel like you're drowning in administrivia? Do you have a podcast you would like transcribed to repurpose as a blog or even a best-selling book? Rhonda's Virtual Office is the answer to the freedom you crave so you can get busy doing what you love. Let Rhonda's Virtual Office give you the relief you need. Visit rondasvirtualoffice.com and get some peace of mind today. Rhonda's Virtual Office is the go-to transcription service for EWN Podcast Network. Thanks for joining us. Back now with your host, Kate Fessler. Welcome back. You are listening to Change, Redefining Success. I'm Kate Fessler, and my guest today is hand and fingerprint anal analysis expert, Ronell Coburn. Ronell, I've often heard people say that life doesn't come with an instruction manual. You say differently. Tell me what you mean. Well... Yes, I love that. Life doesn't come with an instruction manual. And then instruction manuals don't tend to have a very good reputation, do they? <laughs> That's true. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Well, in a way, so far, life, as far as we know, it hasn't come with an instruction manual, except there are some ancient systems like astrology that give us a sort of uh, map of understanding ourselves, right? Uh, if astrology is something uh, you find of interest, not you specifically, but anybody listening out there, um, again, I'm amazed that astrology is such an incredible thing and works so well. And who knows how, like, how did people put that together and how long ago? Um, so astrology is a sort of roadmap or a blueprint of who you are as well. Um, but the thing I like about hands is they're attached to our body. I can point things out and explain what they're about, and you go, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. I like the tangibility of hands. And in a way, when you think about it, everything about us says something about us, right? The way you hold yourself, uh, the tone of your voice, uh, how you use your voice, how you comb your hair, the colors you wear, everything about us transmits something to other people in the world around us about who we are, right? And when you think about it that way, it's not much of a surprise that uh, some part of our bodies might hold more information about us. And there's also the um, acupuncture, you know, the ear is seen as a full representation of your whole body physically, right? You poke that point and it affects your left little toe. Um, so this idea isn't new in that way that there are aspects of our body and places in our body that can tell us more about our whole system. There's phase three, ancient phase reading too. 
Um, so really, it's not too much of a surprise when you think about it that way that um, our hands could be loaded with information. Our hands are also the most intimately tied up in our brains neurologically. There are more neurological connections between the brain and the hands and the hands back to the brain than there are between the brain and any other part of the body, which is interesting. But think about what you do with your hands. Think about what it would be like to not have hands. We couldn't live our lives as we know it at all um, if we didn't have our hands and especially if we didn't have thumbs and our opposable grips. So given what our human bodies are, looking around for sources of information, everything says something. But then you look at the hands and they're loaded with information. People have different hand shapes. They have different line configurations. Um, they have different fingerprints. They have different shapes and sizes of thumbs and fingers. Uh, it's not hard when you start to look to see, oh my gosh, there's something here. And fingerprints specifically are very linked to DNA, and that is known now. Um, so it's known that our fingerprints tell us um, about who we are physically. Well, now with all of the discoveries in epigenetics and the human genome and our DNA, they're finding markers for things like depression and alcoholism and smoking on our DNA. So it's, it's not such a stretch to think that our fingerprints and the rest of our hands might say more about us than who we are just physically, physical identification like Scotland Yard figured out just 150 years or so ago that fingerprints tell us something about who we are physically. It's not that much of a leap to go, oh, wow, they can tell you more than that. So our hands really do have all that information in them. And just it's just right there under our noses from the day we're born and before we're born. So we do have an instruction manual, and it just needs to be interpreted. And it's just a new enough idea um, beyond the predictive palmistry stuff and that idea that, you know, it's just becoming, it's just getting out there in the world, basically, that this is the case. And so it takes time for new ideas to spread. Mm -hmm. You alluded mm -hmm. to this earlier, and you just mentioned the predictive palmistry. What types yeah. of things can you learn from your fingerprints? So you said it's not like it lays out your whole life for you, like you should get married at this age and have X amount of children. Right. Maybe go into yeah. this line of work, though. Like, what does the analysis tell you? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and it also gets at something um, that there's a lot of misconception about, which is if we're talking about the fingerprint specifically, what is life purpose? You know, now if you Google life purpose, or you put life purpose into Amazon, you're going to get a huge array of books, hits, websites, right? So it becomes very important to define what is life purpose. And a lot of people think that life purpose is a job description or that it's a goal you want to achieve. My life purpose is to win the Olympics or to climb Mount Everest, right? Or to get married or to have children or to own a house. But the thing is, wait a minute, once you achieve that thing if you do doesn't mean you no longer have a life purpose right sarah hughes wins the figure skating uh title at the olympics at the age of 15 unexpectedly does she now not have a life purpose anymore no mm -hmm. of course she has a life purpose life purpose is something that's for life and it's not 
a specific job description. It's more uh, the process of being you want to be engaged in over time. So for instance, uh, my own life purpose from my fingerprints is to be a successful, uh, creative, known person in business as what we call a healing messenger. And a healer is somebody who inspires, empowers people to grow and to become more self-aware or more aware of some truth in the world. Um, and the messenger is about delivering a message. There are different ways I could do that, right? That I could be a creative business person who inspires and empowers people to grow and who's built to speak, teach, write, deliver a message about that. But finding out that that's my life purpose, wow, it helps narrow the range in terms of all the possibilities I might be looking at or considering, right? Oh, well, right. I'm doing something that inspires and empowers people to grow. Oh, and I found that out. I went, well, of course, I'm reading books about self-discovery. I'm a meditator. I'm trying to understand myself. I've got wounds like most humans do and traumas, and I'm working on healing those for myself so that I have experience at that, and then I can train in a particular form of healership. I'm putting quote marks around the word healership. And then I'm somebody who has the wisdom and the expertise to support and guide other people along that path. Oh, then it was about, okay, I need to pick a form. I need to pick what kind of healer do I want to be? So I went shopping. I became a massage therapist for a short while and went, this is great, but it's not the right fit. Um, I considered astrology for a while. I started studying it and went, gosh, this is really great, but I, this isn't, I don't want to be interpreting charts. There was something too abstract about it for me. Mm -hmm. um, so I went shopping, basically, but I went shopping in the right department. I considered being a psychotherapist. That's, again, it's on the bus. I just, once I was on the bus, I just had to find the right seat. And once I found something that felt like a good fit, then I needed to commit to it, like getting married, right? You go from dating, and then you have to marry something. If you keep dating, you're not going to get, you know, the satisfaction of a deep relationship with something. So I had already been shopping, first unconsciously, then I could shop more consciously when that book fell off the shelf. And I started to engage with trying to read people's hands from reading a book. And there was something just so delicious about it and so connected. And I got a connection with the person, even if I hardly knew them. That was just amazing. So one thing led to another. I got, you know, I got to the seat next to the seat, the right mm -hmm. seat, the driver's seat on my bus. And then uh, because I was sort of in the right arena, uh, the, I found the information that led me to the International Institute of Hand Analysis. And so our life purposes are a process. They're not just a thing that we do. It's a whole array of things that we do. And it's our sense of who we are. Now, because I do things that fit the successful, as in making my living, uh, creative healer with a message in business, I wake up feeling like that every morning, and it's who I am. And then I do more that feeds it, and my being and doing are aligned. And it's a constant process. 
a constant process. So this is the kind of thing that your hands can tell you, and then all the sticking points around that, too, that you're going to face along the way. You know, you think of the hero's journey. They just don't go save the princess in the tower. They don't just go slay the dragon. There's all these challenges along the way. And that's true right. for all of us. So you can also identify what those challenges are so that as they come up, because they will, you can work very consciously with them and move along at a faster rate than you might if you were just guessing at it or letting it, your life lesson derail you. Right. So there's a flip side to the life purpose, and that is your life lesson. The thing yes. that theoretically you've come here to learn or overcome, the obstacle that can keep you from living your life purpose. Yep. Tell me about that piece, because you also yeah. can identify that as well, right? Absolutely. And in a way, it's more key in some ways than even identifying your purpose, because you might know your purpose, but if you keep avoiding your lesson, which we all want to do, then you, you're never going to get really get to your purpose, right? And when you know what your lesson is and you do what you can to get aware of it in all circumstances, all across your life as it keeps coming up and you keep working with it, then it sort of drives your life purpose naturally. Um, so the life lesson, I like to say it's a part of ourselves that is least experienced, that, you know, we get born and it's an area we don't have any experience in or not enough experience. And so it really hangs us up. It's like that room in your consciousness where the monster lives. So you'd like to avoid that room in your consciousness. Please let me just keep the door locked. Um, but it turns out that that sort of like in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, you know, the abominable snowman's the monster in that movie. But it turns out he's lonely and he's misunderstood. And it turns out he has something he can do too, right? Mm -hmm. It just has to be discovered. And it turns out he's really tall and he can put the stars on the top of the Christmas tree. Our life lesson is so much like that. It's something we're here to convert. We're here to mm. exalt it. Mine is... I always say, believe it or not, powerless, worthless voice. Mm. Can't speak up for myself. Too timid. Um, don't know what to say or how to say it. I'm afraid to say it. Um, across my life, from my intimate, close relationships and saying what I really have to say, how I really feel, what I really want, all the way up to the idea of standing in front of a room of people of 100 people or 200 people or even five people, any numbers, and being feeling like that's too overwhelming, I'm powerless, I can't do it. Hmm. It's really easy to see that, wow, when I step up and I know what I want and I figure out what I have to say and then I go say it, again, whether it's one-on-one -on -one with somebody or if it's like doing this podcast or it's in a room of 200 people, I've done it all, um, and it's scary every time. But when I do it, then through my powerful voice, my powerful communications, that's when I get to be the successful creative healer with a message, mm -hmm. right? I can't get, for me personally, that's my personal formula. I cannot get my life purpose a successful healing messenger in spotlight without working every single day in every way, everywhere in my life, powerful voice. Mm -hmm. Stand up and speak up personally, professionally, 
And what's interesting to me looking back in my life is when I was very small, I can remember laying in bed and thinking, I'm going to write a book, having no idea what that meant. You know, I'm six years old, seven years old, eight years old, and some sense of me was already like, I need to do communications. And then when I was a teenager, I started writing poetry completely on my own, and I got myself published in national magazines mm. all by myself. It's, my, it's doing my life lesson. Mm-hmm. And at the time, because, you know, when you're young, you live with the big people who have more control over you. Um, mm. There were a lot of things that I could not say. And so I had to say it somewhere. So it pushed me into my system, into writing my feelings mm-hmm. and finding a way to put them out in the world. So it's interesting. Okay, I felt like I ha- I, my voice was powerless within my family growing up. But that pushed me. I still needed an expressive outlet. It pushed me emotionally, psychologically into writing. And then I wanted my writing to be seen. And I sent it out to magazines until I started getting my poems accepted and published. It's interesting. Is life lesson a bad thing then? Good question. Life lesson's actually your best friend in disguise as the abominable snowman. Mm. These so are great analogies, pretty... by the way. <laughs> I love yeah, the analogy pretty... of the going shopping in the right department and your, yeah. you know, the abominable snowman. I think that gives people a really good picture of what yeah, it is you're talking this, about. Yeah, this is what your hands give you. They give you that instruction manual. They don't just solve all the problems of your life, right? That's You've got your free will and free won't, as it turns out, to mm-hmm. work with yourself. Also, there's the circumstances you're living in. Right now, if you're Syrian and you had to flee, in a way, your whole life's interrupted, right? Mm-hmm. Things are just much harder. If you're sitting in a country like the United States, uh, we've got a lot more opportunity given where our lives are at right now, right? Mm-hmm. So we all wrestle with a lot. There's wrestling with ourselves. There's wrestling with sort of the entire lineage we come from, the family we come from, going all the way back in time. And then there's the times and the circumstances we're living in, too. And are you male? Are you female? Just all of those pieces, there's a lot to navigate. Mm -hmm. So there's no, nothing is ever a magic bullet, right? People are always looking for the magic bullet, the thing that will just make me live happily ever after. No, our lives are a process that we have to engage in. Right, but if you have this information, then you you can narrow the field, so to speak. (laughs) Yes, and you know where to pay attention. Even Mm -hmm. sometimes when you don't know where I'm supposed to go next, okay, focus on working your life lesson. And that's going to build right into your life purpose. I also like to say our lives aren't like a happily ever after, you know, something happens in happily ever after situation. Our lives are more like a red carpet rolled up at our feet that we have to kick. And it's really big and it's really heavy. And at first you try to move it and you just don't know how and you're not even really strong enough. And then you figure out how to get a little leverage and you you make it roll out two inches. And then you make it roll a couple more and it kind of gets lighter as it goes too. And then it gets to where, you know, you just, you just get a little prod with your toe and it rolls out a long way. 
mm-hmm. right? I think that that's what our lives are like. They're, they really are a journey, a process that we need and want to be constantly engaged in. And again, it always takes some risk. It always takes some effort. But the reward for that and the reward of getting to feel like I know who I am and I wake up in the morning every day and I know who I am and what sorts of things I need to be doing, it's priceless. Mm-hmm. I agree. Priceless. This is fascinating stuff. We're almost out of yeah. time. So I have oh, my to God, time flies. What yes. book or resource besides your own changed your life that ah. you recommend to people? I'm guessing probably the one that fell off the shelf and almost hit you in the no. head. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, that book is not so easy to read. There's a lot of it that, again, it's like, okay, this part's okay, and this part doesn't make any sense, and is about, you know, there are biases of the Victorian era in there. No, more recently, I do a lot of reading um, of psychology. And then more recently, in recent years, I've gotten really fascinated with neuroscience because they're mm-hmm. making amazing discoveries about how our brains work and how our systems work. So um, I actually have two books. They work very well together. They look a lot alike, even though they're by different authors. Um, for people who are interested in really finding out how your brain works, how your system works, and are willing to be a little unnerved by uh, and a little shocked and surprised by the discoveries, just fascinating stuff. I'd recommend first the book called Incognito, The Secret Lives of the Brain. It's by David Eagleman. It's been out for quite a while now. And then a more recent book that's called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, D-U-H-I-G-G. It's about how much of our systems are actually automated and Mm -hmm. why that's a good thing and why it makes it difficult to make changes Mm. and how to make changes. So much more of who we are is automated into habits. We have emotional habits. We have thinking habits. This has all really caught me because it's like, wow, when I look at somebody's hands, I'm looking at a record of their lifelong habit pattern. Right. And then offering them um, an understanding of what habits you want to reinforce because they're very beneficial to you and which patterns are detrimental to you. They might have been useful in the past. They're not useful anymore. And then how do you get aware of them and alter them you can't get rid of your habits but you can alter them it's fascinating stuff anybody who's really interested in how you and your human system and everybody's human system operates these books are just mind-blowing awesome so if people want to find out more about you maybe have their own analysis done how can they do that just go to my main website, lifepurposenow.com. And everything's there um, from consults to training. There's a, right now, there's still a lot. There are a lot of articles up there. There's a lot of video up there. I'm just about, speaking of the process of engaging in your life purpose, I'm just starting. I'm going to redo everything. I'm going to rebuild the business house now that I've rebuilt the physical house. Um, but uh, it'll still be life purpose now when that happens. But there's a lot of good stuff up there. And if, if anybody listening wants to find out, uh, you know, about your own life purpose, what it is, get permission to do it, get clarity about steps to take, um, 
and take a look at your life. Uh, consults are really great, and some people decide they want to learn how to do this. And uh, I do distance-based training, and it's all right there. Awesome. Perfect. Fascinating stuff. Ronell Coburn, lifepurposenow.com. Thank you so much for your time today. Oh, Kate, thank you so much for having me. This has been fun. Thanks for joining us. This is the EWN Podcast Network. I am so intrigued by any and all studies of who we are and why we're here. It makes sense that encoded in the body are all the answers for the individual. There are so many ways of interpreting our world and our life, and I love to bring you the folks who are doing the research and not just discovering and uncovering the secrets, but sharing them with people in a way that enhances our lives. If you have something to add to the conversation, please leave a comment on my Facebook page, First Class Life Solutions. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give it a good rating and share it with your friends. You can find links to previous podcasts and the recommendations of my guests on my website, firstclasslifesolutions.com. In keeping with this theme, next week, my guest will be Lisa Bowles of The Soul Map, who will be sharing about astrology and how it can give us insight not just into ourselves, but the collective consciousness and help us make sense out of what we see happening in the world. Lisa believes that we're in a time of monumental change. Old models are melting down and the new patterns and systems have not yet taken form. It's undeniable. It's happening. It's real. She believes everyone on the planet is actively participating in the change, and business leaders are right in the crux of it. Some are participating consciously, others not so much. It's Lisa's job to crack open a sweet jar of purposeful possibility for whoever's ready for a taste. Lisa believes in the wonder of small business. They're spirited, nimble, resourcefully inventive, and bend without breaking much more easily than Mondo corporate structures. She loves them, she gets them, and she wants them to thrive. She believes that you do have it in you. Your life with all its quirks has an irrefutable logic and intelligence all its own. You have a part to play and it matters. Oh, does it ever. Lisa believes in a little bit of mystery. We live in a culture that places inordinate value on knowing and control. Knowing is grand, control has its place, but there's merit and magic in every meltdown and in every cycle of uncertainty because that's where all the great work happens. It's all part of the plan and all part of your map. I hope you'll join us. Until then, cheers to your authentic first-class life. I'm Kate Fessler. Thanks for listening to Change, Redefining Success. is the EWN Podcast Network. I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN Podcast hosts at ewnpodcastnetwork.com.